for me, coming to New York made the most sense as far as getting an education in the States because I felt like going to a big sorority school, like what would I do there after I had just like seen a war happen and like watch rockets fly in the sky? Like I was ready to take on the next professional challenge and make an impact. And like, it sounds cheesy, but like change the world. Hello, welcome back to Mostly Balanced with Carly and Mia. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We had a cool guest on today with a really different background. So it was a story we haven't heard yet before and a type of perspective we haven't shared. Yes, I loved recording with Zoya. It was so much fun. We covered so many different topics. I kind of didn't know what to expect going into it because even when we chatted with her before recording, she had so many things that she does that I was like, oh my gosh, this conversation could go anywhere. Right. But she's just honestly the coolest person I think I've ever talked to. (laughs) (laughs) She's so smart. She's from, well, she grew up in Israel, served in the army, has like a million educational degrees. She is a mentor for women. She's just doing so many awesome things. And I loved the conversation with her. There wasn't a dull moment. Yeah, she's Russian, but grew up in Israel. And yes, like you said, then she served in the army and then she moved here. And then like, there just kept being more things that came out like, oh yeah, then when I was working in fashion and I'm like, wait, you worked in fashion? Because that's not at all what she does now. So, and then yes, I loved to hear about her volunteer work. She actually hosts her own podcast for the organization that she works with. So she talks more about that in the episode, but we really had a strong focus on mentorship and heard a lot about kind of how mentors played a role in her life and still do. And then how she mentors young women as well, who are trying to start out a new career or develop their career. So I really liked that topic of female empowerment and mentorship because it was something that we haven't talked about a ton on here. It's come up in a few different episodes, but it was a really great topic to kind of dive deeper into. And she was a great person to talk to about it. Yes, definitely. I loved her perspective on that. I love what she's doing. And the Women in Innovation organization she works for and the podcast called Win Win. She hosts, she launched this podcast for the organization and hosts a variety of guests, all women with really cool jobs, like women in leadership, CEOs. And the goal really is to just spread that awareness and tell these stories of how women are breaking barriers and how we're able to have these types of roles in companies. And it's cool to hear from those voices. Yeah, she was definitely very cool. We'll definitely be staying in touch with her, hopefully meeting up with her once things are a little bit more tame here in New York. But yes, it was a great episode to record and we think you guys are going to love it. But before we get into it, we can chat a little bit about what's going on with us. So we are here recording before Mia goes away for the weekend. You're going to Vermont, right? Yes. So we're recording a little early and I'm going to Vermont for the weekend. I'm so excited. I did not grow up a skier. I remember going on a like a school ski trip in elementary school or middle school. And I signed up for snowboarding because like all the cool kids and all the boys were signing up for snowboarding. <laughs> so my, <laughs> my friends signed up for snowboarding too. And I actually ended up being a really good snowboarder for like a few years in a row. 
But then I thought like, oh, skiing will come so naturally. I'm like, I have great balance. I'm athletic. It'll be fine. The first time I got on skis, I felt like Bambi. Like I could not stay up. I was falling all over the place, slipping and sliding, like poles everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) The past few years, Dan and I have gone skiing with his friends in Vermont. And I'm actually quite good. So I'm excited. I remember you saying when you went either last year or the year before that you were actually good. And we felt like it was because of bar three. Yes, because in bar three and even in salt drop now, so much of the muscles you work are in like your quad and upper leg and that little ski position we would do at bar three. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that is why. Yeah. (laughs) So hopefully you're still good. Hopefully Dino has been preparing you for this moment. Yeah. What are you doing this weekend? Not really anything. So I am excited because I have started my health journey with Parsley Health and I've been wanting to go there for a while. So I have an in-person visit. I had a couple of virtual visits and now I have my in-person visit this week. So that's something that I'll be excited to kind of share my experience with. And yeah, other than that, I mean... New York is not in like full lockdown, but it is only outdoor dining. So we've been really lucky that there's been nicer weather where you can do outdoor dining if you want to. But I think it's supposed to get cold again here. So who knows? I'll probably just be spending lots of time inside. (laughs) But yeah, so we can kind of talk about some new things that we've been trying. This is not a new thing for me, but it's something that I hadn't had in a while. And I recently started ordering meals from Saqqara Life again. So I love their meals. They're all plant-based and they all come to you like ready to eat. So it's not like a meal delivery service like HelloFresh or Green Chef or one of those where you cook the meal. It actually comes like an amazing, basically gourmet vegan meal that you can eat and they do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can choose if you want just breakfast, lunch, just lunch and dinner, whatever you want to do. But I did all three for a few days after the holidays just because I felt like I needed some nutrients and it was a really easy mm-hmm. way to kind of load up on great plant-based food but still feel like you're getting full. So that's what I love about it. They don't just send you like a kale salad with nothing on it. Like they send you these really cool, unique meals for every meal of the day. So their breakfasts are like a banana bread pudding parfait or something like that. That's like delicious. And they also have like delicious baked goods. So muffins and donuts and everything like that. But then yeah, their lunch will be like this amazing salad that really fills you up. And then for dinner, they have all different types of things like homemade veggie burgers and pasta dishes and everything like that. It is all gluten-free too. So it's all vegan, all gluten-free. But again, you feel like you're getting so full from it. Like it's a really substantial amount of food. So I've really enjoyed trying those meals again, just because it had been a long time. And I also did order a few things from their clean boutique as well, which is just where you can get a bunch of different things like protein powders. And actually they have some snack bar protein bars as well, which I tried and a bunch of different products on there. So I tried their metabolism powder and their bars and both are great. I've already noticed kind of a difference with the metabolism powder. It just kind of helps curb my cravings throughout the day. So it fills me up in the morning. It has a lot of, again, nutrient-dense ingredients that if I put it in my smoothie, I feel like I stay full a lot longer than if I don't have it in there. Yum. Wait, that all sounds amazing. I can't wait to try it. I'm definitely going to... I think I'll try the three-day meal plan soon. And yeah, I'm really excited. The food, whenever I see anyone post about it, looks amazing. Yes, it's so good. Definitely need to try. 
But I am trying something new. Well, it was actually funny. The other day I posted a photo on our account and then I laughed because I said to Carly, so many people are asking about my skincare routine. (laughs) (laughs) But it was literally just two messages from my real life friends. (laughs) But I actually haven't talked too much about my skincare routine because I struggled with cystic acne for so many years, like adult years. We've talked about this on the podcast a little. Like I never had a breakout in high school. As soon as I got to college in my early 20s, I got such cystic acne and I hated it so much. And I went to the dermatologist and I had been using just like all Kiehl's products. I think I just, again, decided I liked them and decided that's what I was using. And then I used them for years. But when I went to the dermatologist, they put me on just a strict CeraVe morning and night routine. And I have not deviated from that at all. I also use like some topical antibiotics, which I'm also trying to like weed myself off of a bit now that it's been a couple of years. So I just use CeraVe and I always think that's so boring because I miss all the fun beauty products out there that I could be trying. But I also am pretty proud of the low amount of money I'm spending on my skincare. But I do like try to switch it up and I use a drunk elephant under eye cream and I wanted to try retinol. So I got the Drunk Elephant Retinol Cream and it comes with a little hydrating serum because retinol could be drying. But I'm really excited to try it. So I didn't honestly know much about retinol. It's one of those words you hear all the time and you should be using it. But essentially, it's just a vitamin A derivative. Your skin, like up until the age of 30, reproduces its skin cells on like every 28-day cycle. But as you get older, that lessens and your skin doesn't turn over as much cells. So retinol acts on like a cellular level to kind of start your skin production. So it helps with aging and wrinkles and just acts kind of like a collagen booster. So your skin will look more even. So I decided to try it. You do have to work your way up. It can be irritating. So you are supposed to start small. So the product that I use, you use a pea-sized amount of lotion like once a week and work your way up. You'll never, probably never use it every single day, but you can use it multiple times a week and you see results after about three months. So I will keep you posted on my retinol journey, but I am excited to try it. And I like Drunk Elephant. They are on Sephora's clean beauty list. So it is vegan, cruelty-free, and based on those standards, the products on Sephora's clean list don't have like the top 50 ingredients that are in like most other products that make it clean. Yeah, that's so interesting because when I had my last virtual visit with the doctor at Parsley, she recommended Drunk Elephant products. So that's interesting. That's the one you got. But I've been wanting to add retinol into my routine as well. So I'm interested to hear how it goes for you. And I'm also very impressed because we both went to that dermatologist at the same time and I definitely stopped using CeraVe products. So that's all you use to wash your face? Yeah, I just use the CeraVe cleanser. It's like the one in the green bottle and the lotion in the white pump bottle. And that's all I use. Does it remove makeup? Yeah, I think so. Huh, interesting. It's very gentle, but it's, yeah, it's all I use. And I've noticed my skin clear up, like, honestly exponentially like my skin is so much clearer than when I started but I do use like I like I said I miss those fun products and I like trying new products so sometimes I'll throw in like a serum that I've talked about on here or some other different things but those are the basics that I use 
Interesting. Yeah. I remember that the dermatologist recommended that to me as well. So it must be really good to have like a minimal, kind of a minimal list of ingredients for you. Yes, definitely. Well, this is such a fun episode and I hope everybody enjoys it. We will keep you posted on the next solo episode coming again this Thursday. I hope you loved the first one last week and definitely feel free to send us a message if there are any topics that you're interested in hearing more about. Yes, thanks for listening. We know you'll love Zoya and we'll see you again on Thursday. Welcome back. Today we are here with the Vice President of Product Management at Citibank and the Global Marketing Lead at the global nonprofit Women in Innovation. So welcome Zoya Kazakov to Mostly Balanced. Hi, me and Carly. I'm so excited to be here. We're so excited to have you here. This is so much fun. We're so happy we connected. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and maybe a little background about where you're from? Yeah, totally. So Mia had the tough job of explaining all my jobs. But that's because I'm really a multi-hyphenate. So I have a bunch of dashes to all the jobs that I do. As you said, in my day job, I'm a VP of product management at Citibank. I work on their Google partnership. So Google and Citi have a partnership and I'm really working on the product side of things for that. My side hustle and passion is also Win Women in Innovation. It's a global nonprofit aimed at closing the gender gap in the innovation industry. So an innovation industry could be innovation consultancies, startups, or innovation departments in Fortune 500 companies. So I'm global marketing lead there. And I have my own podcast called Win Win, where I talk to all of these different senior women in the space. And then I guess the last kind of piece of my jobs is teaching. So I teach in two places. I teach in the Columbia Graduate School Program of Communications. And then I also am a lead instructor at a digital online school called BrainStation, where I teach digital marketing. So that's kind of like the work spiel. But I'm originally from Moscow. My parents are Russian, but I was born and raised in Israel, went to the army, served in the intelligence, and then moved to New York City and kind of kicked off my journey there. Wow. Your resume is so impressive. (laughs) I can't wait to hear so much more about how you're involved in all of these areas. But first off, I'd love to hear more about growing up in Israel and your experience in the army. Yeah. So I think something that should be said is all pretty much all Israelis go to the army. So I think if you guys do have Israeli listeners, they will very much roll their eyes at me. (laughs) But ultimately, (laughs) where my journey kind of differed was the fact that I went to an American international school in Israel, which is how I speak English. And then I went to the army. And in the army, when you think about like college recruiting, that's kind of how the army does it too. So I really wanted to be in a job that was more about foreign relations and international relations. At the time, I had done a lot of model United Nations in high school. So I felt like that would be a really meaningful next step. I ended up getting drafted into the Israeli intelligence. So when you think about special operations like Black Ops and all the cool movie stuff, that's kind of what I got to do. But on the operational and strategy side, I served for two years. And I think it's really cool because you get to do a really meaningful role. For me, it was a chief of staff role at 18 years old. So I literally had no background to kind of be qualified for that type of role. But because of how the army works, I got to work with people who are two, three times my age, international delegations, and oversee between 40 to 50 people that I would be in touch with on a daily basis. So I think 
that really sped up my career trajectory and life as a whole. And by the time I got to New York, I was just in a very different place in my life. (laughs) Yeah, it's so interesting. And I'm glad you explained it like that. I feel like a lot of people here might not know that in Israel, that's common or is it mandatory that everybody Mm -hmm. does the army? And then is it, is two years like the standard? So girls do two years and men do three, which is kind of nice. I think they try to account for you having children and stuff like that. But uh, (laughs) I think that's the official reason. But yeah, the minimum is two years. And so there are many Israelis that go to college at like age 25 or 26 because they sign on more time. And so you see these like 26-year-old freshmen, which is why for me coming to New York made the most sense as far as getting an education in the States because I felt like going to a big sorority school, like what would I do there after I had just like seen a war happen and like watch rockets fly in the sky? Like I was ready to take on the next professional challenge and make an impact. And like, it sounds cheesy, but like change the world. No, yeah. Yeah, totally. I totally get it. And I actually, in college, I had a couple different jobs. And I worked at an Israeli-owned soap store and then an Israeli-owned coffee shop. So I knew a lot of people from Israel and they all had served in the army. And then when I graduated from college, I met a guy actually, I think it was like two days after he moved here from Israel. And he did the same thing. He came here for college because he just felt like after... I think he did five years. So it was like that. He was like a 23 or 24-year-old that was just starting school. So he was just ready to get into like somewhere else. And like you said, start like changing the world and doing things like that. So that's amazing. I mean, so many of the things that you do, like Mia said, I want to dive deeper into all of it. But on this topic, what was kind of your biggest... I guess, challenge when you first moved here? Was there something you didn't expect? Yeah. So I think what was really interesting was like, as I mentioned, like you gain this like level of maturity because you are dealing with like real national security issues, but you are still, in my case, like 20 years old. So as my army service was happening, I was really in love with my high school boyfriend. All I saw outside of like dealing with national security was like, I'm going to marry my high school boyfriend. But in reality, he cheated on me and didn't care about me. Obviously, the classic, classic. like high school unrequited <laughs> yeah. love. I know you guys have an amazing episode about fuckboys. So uh <laughs> that. But literally, I was in a place where I was like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? So I ended up visiting Milan to see my friend who was studying there. And I stumbled upon a fashion school that she was attending. And I said, wait, why don't I go to fashion school? Like, I love business. I love creativity. Like, I did strategy for the army. I can definitely do strategy for a luxury fashion company. So that's actually how I ended up in New York. And I became super motivated because I said, you know, I'm going to show this boy that he made the biggest mistake of his life. So I called my mom and I said, if I get into all the top five fashion schools in the world, like I'm going to go. Otherwise, I'll stick with this whole international relations spiel. And somehow I made it. I got to New York City and right away, like on my third week of school, I had began using LinkedIn and cold emailing people. Like I literally knew no one in New York and I had no connections or like a family to lean back on here. So I literally just began outreach and somebody said to me, if you want, you can come tomorrow and volunteer at New York Fashion Week. So that's kind of, I had this crazy cultural shock. I spent the day opening the elevator for people, helping models change out of their shoes. But it was super surreal because 
my journey kicked off three weeks into that. I met somebody there that was impressed with what I was doing, connected me to a person at Lan Vaughn. After Lan Vaughn, I got an internship with Chanel and Givenchy and Moda Operandi. And like the rest of my career just like really, really took off. And I do attribute it to that Israeli fire and coming from the army. But also like, quite frankly, I had an Elwood's mission to prove to <laughs> the boy that didn't love me that I could make it. And I guess I kind of did. <laughs> you definitely did. But that's amazing. Like you said, you were such a young girl, but dealing with such a crazy experience in the army and working with so many people, delegating work, working with people so much older than you. Sure. And then it still came back to boyfriend revenge. But yeah. I mean, you really killed it. And I can't imagine the experience that you've had and you coming into New York, being the age that you were, but levels above other people. So Thanks. that's really awesome. So then from fashion, how did you transition to where you are now? Yeah. So it's kind of a story of finding yourself. So I loved fashion and I loved kind of the way that these fashion companies, especially in the luxury space, were able to sell a product that was far beyond the value that it was, right? Like no matter how you put it, a Chanel bag isn't worth the money that it's being sold for. And they create that added value through emotion and through marketing and that aspirational aspect. And so I always have loved that bringing emotion to the products that I work with. But I felt like in fashion with the constraints of like physical retail being such a meaningful part of the industry, I felt like all the things I wanted to innovate and change, I wasn't able to do. So ultimately, I kind of transitioned more into general marketing and digital advertising because I felt like it was the digital space and these new platforms and UX and UI were things that were ultimately driving consumer behaviors. And so I switched into digital advertising. I worked in digital advertising for about a year and a half. I spent a lot of time with still luxury fashion brands and jewelry brands, Cartier, Panerai, Vanclief Arpel, but also companies like EY. And so ultimately, I saw this huge opportunity to really change the world on the digital side of things and utilizing marketing principles and things like that. And then at that point, I got into Columbia for my master's in strategic communication. And I said to get into grad school again, kind of at a younger age, I saw the opportunity. So I transitioned to Columbia doing my master's. Half of it was Zoom University and then ended up transitioning into product. Wow. And that was at Citibank where you are now? Yeah. So I was in Zoom University for the last semester of my school and a ton of my offers fell through and I really wanted to work in the innovation industries. I mentioned my connection to win women in innovation, but ultimately, like I said, I really want to be at these innovation consultancies. But when you're thinking of like budgets being pulled and like the world crashing down, it's really those fundamental functions that stay behind. And so I had a bunch of offers pulled through and I had to regroup and think, where can I make that impact that I continuously was striving to make throughout my career? And City was a place that has really been in some ways thriving during this pandemic by really utilizing their digital offerings. So they were looking for a hybrid, creative, kooky background person like me. And that's how I ended up there. That's awesome. And you mentioned in that path, working with women in innovation. So when did that organization launch and what was the inspiration behind that? 
Yeah. So they've been around for almost five years now, but I really got involved when I started grad school because I think throughout all of these jobs and things that I mentioned and the internships that I've done, I think the guiding principle has always been intellectual curiosity, right? So I mentioned transitioning from fashion to marketing to digital. In between, I tried out a bunch of other things too. I interned at the district attorney's office for one semester and got to literally go down to like jail and understand (laughs) how New York City jail works. And everybody was like, are you having a midlife crisis? And at the time I was like, no, I'm 22. I I don't think so. (laughs) But it all stemmed from really wanting to understand the things that were happening around me. And so I think part of that was because I was always looking for mentors and moving to a new country, literally packing up my bags and flying 12 hours and getting to New York City. It wasn't like I had this built-in network of people that were just going to like take care of it for me. So the way I fostered those relationships were through getting those internships and then staying in touch with people. But by the time I got to grad school, my ambitions were obviously growing and the ways that I wanted to impact the world felt a little bit out of reach for me. So I wanted to get engaged with organizations that could really help me bridge those gaps or at least tell me like, you're not getting this job because you don't have this skill or because you don't know somebody at the company. So I saw Wynn had a fellowship open. They have one open every six months for people earlier on in their career or people who are in school or grad school. So I jumped up the opportunity and four months later, I was offered the global marketing lead role. I say role with quotation marks because the entire organization is volunteer run. Everybody does it on top of their job. But I got to oversee the three markets, London, New York, San Francisco, and now virtual global, in addition to kind of doing my day job and grad school. And I think it's been a way for me to really have access to incredible mentorship. Yeah, that's great. So you said they've been around for about five years, but how long did you say that you've been working with them for? I started last October, so about a year and a half now. Wow, that's awesome. So now that you're working full-time and you're also doing this nonprofit work, how much of your time do you say you dedicate to that and how much is going to your sort of day job? Yeah, so it's super tough because I think like a day in the life, not that you ask, it's like the bloggers that are like, everybody's asking about my skincare routine. I'm like, you're asking for my day-to-day schedule. I am though. I want to (laughs) know. Yeah. So I do have 24 hours in a day, but I guess I just kind of disperse them a little differently. Usually I try to do women in innovation things nights, evenings, and then weekends. And then if during lunch, I need to take a one-off meeting, then I'll do that. Obviously, For a lot of people, work from home has been especially stressful. And don't get me started on COVID. I mean, there's no need. But it has saved me the time to like need to travel places to be able to make my meetings, which is great. So usually I'll start my day. I will do a bunch of emails and outreach for when, again, a lot of my role is working on the podcast. So I'm speaking to C-suite level women in Fortune 500 companies. So I need to be like talking to their PAs and getting things organized, checking in with the London markets, New York, San Francisco, just making sure everyone's in a good place and can execute on their roles because we have marketing leads across all the different chapters. And then I start my job. It can start anywhere between 8.30, 9. It kind of depends because we are working remotely. It really varies. And then it can go anywhere until 6 p.m. There are nights that it goes much longer, again, pending on the work. 
And then at nights, once a week, I'm usually teaching. So whether that's at Columbia or at Brain Station. And then again, at nights, if I need to check in with the San Francisco market or do any sort of like individual contributor work, whether it's like a newsletter or help out with social copy, that's when I get that done. So it's really all hours of the night. And I think it's truly because all of the work gives me different fulfillments in different areas of my life even though I'm struggling with balance, which is, I guess, where you guys are the experts. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask what your time management tips are, but I would imagine that a huge part of it is the fact that you love what you do on all levels. So it makes it a lot easier to sort of fill in those little pockets of time. Totally. And I think the other thing of it is actually like, I mean, I work in product now and I can say that before I worked in product, I was still really nerdy about like utilizing all the tools that I can. I'm a huge Asana fan. For those that don't know, it's a project management board and people use it to function like across teams, but I use Asana to function with myself. So I'll have an Asana board with every person I speak to on the podcast and I'll move kind of that task around based on where in the process I am with them because I can't physically remember when I need to check in with who. I use Superhuman, which is an email app where I can set reminders to check in with somebody by a certain date if they didn't check in with me and kind of keep my inbox at inbox zero. So my calendar is like my entire existence. So I definitely do use tools. And I say that if you are a more tech-oriented person or want to be, use the tools that help you stay efficient because you can't take it all on. And I don't have a personal assistant or the funds for a personal assistant. So taking advantages of those tools really helps me. But like you said, like if I didn't love teaching, I wouldn't do it. It's definitely not my biggest source of income or like the thing that moves the needle for me. It's just the opportunity to teach people the things that I know and again, continuously make impact and, and learn new things. Right. That's amazing. And I feel like for people listening, you seem like you have such a very busy schedule. And like Carly said, if it's something that you truly care about, then that time is well spent. But where do you fit in any time for yourself? Yeah, so I think um, I am really trying to, again, like make it like appointments with myself. I think wellness and fitness has been a huge thing that has brought me success because I think it's the time that I can truly shut off. Like I used to go to Soul Cycle Studios at the time, like you're not even allowed to bring your phone in there. So no matter what, that's the 45 minutes of my day that nobody can talk to me. So I think that's been really, really meaningful. And I'll squeeze it in on weekends or again, earlier in the morning, like I used to try to make the 7am's or you know the 7pm's or the 6.30pm classes, things like that. But I also think that like there have been weeks where I say, oh, I don't have time for this. And I think on an emotional level, I can say to myself, like working out or meditating or whatever it may be, ultimately it will benefit me. But I can also make a very strong like logical argument about the fact that like what you do with your workouts and the intentions that you set within them, they don't have to be like a number or an appearance or whatever, like a Peloton cadence or whatever it is that people use. But it's really like, you know, I've had instructors that I've trained it with for years, whether that's Pilates or Soul or other classes say to me like, work through this, push through this, because if you can, you can do it somewhere else. So on the days that I felt like a failure at managing my calendar or not landing a job or failing at a project, I've been able to kind of remind myself my worth by taking that time for myself. So that's kind of like my 
justification to squeeze those things into my calendar. And now working at a big corporation like City, they are like, we have a city runners club and a city this and a city that. So I joined the city runners club. I'm a terrible runner, but it gets me outside. Right now, the goal is twice a week. I started yesterday. It was okay. (laughs) And we'll find out if I can stick with it. So have you not even met anybody that you're working with in person? No, I started literally like pandemic.com. I started like early October and my computer didn't work for the first week. And so at that point, I texted my boss being like, what can I do? Like, can I come in? She was like, Monday, they will handle it. Like, live your life. And I think coming from such a background of startups and working three jobs, I was like, so I'm just like hanging out and people are okay with that. (laughs) It was like kind of the best week of my life. Yeah. Welcome to corporate life. (laughs) I know. I I like never want to leave. (laughs) That's so funny. So that's cool to hear about how you really make a point to prioritize yourself with fitness and wellness and everything like that. But since you moved here, how have you met people and how have you brought a social life into everything? Yeah. So I think the cool thing about New York is that it brings a lot of international people in. So I've met people just like literally from different countries and different areas from the world, just from like back in the day being out and about, whether it's like Soho House or actually going out to like a literal club. I know it's like shocking. What are those? (laughs) Yeah, we we don't know. Um, (laughs) And then otherwise, like because I went to an international school, I think for those that don't know, an international school is like a school in English, but it's based in all these different countries. Like there's one in every country. And all the different kids of the ambassadors and like larger companies, expats go there. So a lot of my friends, like when I go quote unquote home to Israel, a lot of my friends aren't even there. They ended up moving elsewhere, whether it's back to their home country or to the States. So a lot of people from Israel ended up moving here at different increments of time. Then they leave, then other people come back. So I've kind of actually reconnected with a lot of like high school, middle school, and elementary school friends as they've moved in and out of New York. And then internships. I think internships has been a big one. Like I've done 10 internships between undergrad and grad. And at every internship, I've met people my age and people a bit older. And then the last thing is those communities. Like when I've met some of my best friends there, And now I'm getting to know kind of the younger generation through the mentoring that I do myself with organizations like Aspire to Her, built by girls and Generation She. Yeah, that's really cool that you're able to meet so many people through all of the different organizations and roles that you've had. I know I've met some of my best friends in internships and in those early jobs when you're all just figuring out what's going on and those relationships really last. Mm -hmm. But I do want to talk a little bit. Sorry. (laughs) See, you've you've met people at Seoul? Yes, I know it's a highly contentious discussion. And I also know there's like a Vox article like trashing Cycle. My older brother called me and he was like, so are you going to admit that it's a cult? And I was like, no. <laughs> that <person laughs> that like, article was so long. I couldn't it was so long. It was, thing. I mean, they needed like a too long, didn't read. So <laughs> I did meet people at Cycle in general, I think with the clicky like workout studios of New York City. You can be all in and like the workout classes can be your religion. You can be totally uninvolved, like come in, do the class and leave, which I think can sometimes be nice. I've liked to tread the line. If I go to a class where I've never met anybody there, there are days that I'll walk in and like leave and go unnoticed. But like I went to a class on a Tribeca rooftop for Seoul the other week and 
a girl next to me smiled and I was like, wow, this is the first new person I've met in a year. So I was like, hey, <laughs> like, how are you? And like, she was sweet. And next time I see her, I'm sure I'll talk to her again. And maybe outside of COVID times, that could lead like a coffee or a smoothie after class. And so some of those coffees and smoothies after class have turned into friendship. And they're just not associated with Soul or the workout studio anymore. They just become like a thing of their own. Right. I mean, workout studios and going to classes pre-COVID was such an amazing place to meet like-minded people who have similar interests. And sure. I feel like nobody ever spoke to each other. Like I've never spoken to another human in a soul cycle class. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, you guys will have to come with me after the pandemic and uh, oh. we'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah. People are going to come out of the pandemic ready to meet. Like yeah. Yeah. more social. Although I kind of laugh because having started the podcast during the pandemic, I think I met more people in 2020 than like the year before. Just because we've been able to meet so many guests that we recorded yeah. and everything. And I'm saying meet, but I mean like this through Zoom. But still, it's like a silver lining. And I think that when people are getting back to going to fitness classes and everything, I can guarantee that they'll be talking to each other a lot more than they had in the past. Totally, totally. And it was the same thing with my podcast and the teaching and the mentoring. Like time management, I can go on and tell you all about my handy dandy tools. But in reality, now if I submit something for work and I have an extra hour and a half, like I can talk to other people and recruit more people on my podcast. And so in some ways, it's been incredible. But I think the interesting thing is like, which of these connections will stick or which of these will be like emergency mode connections? <laughs> yeah, like will right. people continue talking to their neighbors? Or are they only doing that right now because it's COVID? <laughs> right. I want to hear more about your podcast that you're host for Women in Innovation. Yeah. So we are, again, you guys can't see the video for those of you listening, but we are here a really high quality sound crew and that's no coincidence. I did start a podcast this summer. As I mentioned, the summer was really tough for me. Like I felt like what people described 2008 to be where it was like I spent all this time and money and effort into like this master's education to walk out into like the worst market of all time. And so for me, the way that I handle these stress situations, and that for sure goes back to like, you know, the army stuff, the boyfriend stuff, like I'm sure my therapist could share more about that. Um, <laughs> but in reality, I felt like, okay, if I'm not able to launch myself in a job right in this moment, how can I at least continue learning and growing and figuring out like, what are the smartest women in the world going to tell me to do? And so the organization gave me a ton of freedom. Like, obviously, we wanted to keep it focused around innovation to really enable people to learn more about what can seem like a really woo-woo industry. But at the end of the day, I got to ask the head of brand strategy for Google Cloud, like, do you ever feel like an imposter? And she was like, yes, absolutely. You know, And so I think for me, it was a way to ask the questions that I had. And then the feedback that I got was like, I'm so glad you asked you know, like a senior director at PepsiCo about how to do maternity leave conversation. I would have never known. And I'm nowhere near having babies. I'm, I'm single.com. But at the end of the day, these are like burning questions that I had had. And so it was really cool to see how quickly people were picking up on it and responding. And I have like a handful of inbound emails every day to the point where I say, you know, like I'm booked through August 2021. Like, let's pick this up in a few months. And so it's been amazing. And we've had a lot of corporate support too, people wanting to get their talent on the podcast. But for me, now I'm employed, I'm still excited to ask the questions that I may have at work to ask of those women. And it goes back to this notion of like, 
you aren't born with mentors or people that have the answers for you. You need to seek them out. And so for me, a way to give back is like to create platforms that can give other people mentorship. Right. I love the idea of making these women your mentors and asking them those more personal questions. I was actually just talking to my own analyst on my team today about imposter syndrome. And as soon as you hear that from another person, that someone else is also feeling that way, it just diminishes the whole feeling because now you know it's not just you, you know you're not alone. So I love the idea of having these women who many other women are looking up to and hearing their real stories, their real struggles and understanding that someone who's highly successful is also feeling a lot of the feelings you probably are too. So I love that you're normalizing that and helping a lot of women and all of your listeners. Yeah, no. And it's been awesome because I think the other piece of it is like when you think about gender as a whole, like I think there are a ton of opportunities for women out there, but those opportunities just like aren't as linear. And I think for women, it starts like at a younger age where like somebody refers to you as like the smart girl or the pretty girl or the athletic girl. And suddenly you're like, oh, okay, I guess I'm the athletic girl. And you set those constraints and boundaries on yourself and you carry it through, I think, the rest of your life until you're able to see kind of different women, maybe women that don't place those boundaries on themselves. Like for a long time before I was at City, I always said to myself like, I'm very good at design. I'm very good at strategy, at communications, but I don't understand like how finance works. Like I didn't invest for a long time. I didn't consider myself as somebody who could speak about finance in a coherent way. And then I ended up a VP at a Fortune 10 bank. And so I broke my own boundaries, but I never even applied to City before the pandemic because I just set that boundary on myself. And now I'm there. I'm a valued member of the team and I have opportunities for leadership. And so for me, a big thing that I'm just trying to solve all around for these younger girls that I mentor and and girls even my age is really understanding like what are those core issues that you're struggling with and how can you overcome them as roadblocks in your professional career? Yeah, I could not agree more. We set these limitations for ourselves sometimes without even realizing it based on things that we're told or things that we see. And then you kind of have to think back and think, wait, what did I actually like? And what did I actually want to do before I kind of put myself in this box that other people saw me fitting into? So I really love that you're using your experience to help mentor younger women and women your age. So how do you find these people that you're mentoring? Yeah. So I actually like, I think this notion of a pipeline is a very real one. I think it's like, I'm happy to give my time to certain people or certain women or somebody who asked for my help. But obviously, there's like no real way for me to access those women unless I like put it on my LinkedIn and then it's kind of disorganized. So I've really reached out to and partnered with organizations that a lot of the times have a very specific ask. So like Built by Girls, their whole thing is getting more girls into STEM and digital roles. And they have a mentor advisor and mentee program where basically you sign up you do an application and then they match you with somebody that may have similar interests as you. And then you meet with them over a certain period of time and there's a whole system in place. So something like that is like my dream because they have a system, they have an automated calendar invite, they have the whole thing set up. And so I'm able to kind of not have to spend my time searching for the talent that needs me. 
a lot of the time the talent finds me. I think like with LinkedIn, the podcast, my job, there's a ton of people that reach out to me. And so if there's something that I can feel like I can help with, I will take the time and just meet with them. And then again, some of those other organizations may have a specific ask like Generation She found me because they were hosting like a make-a-thon for all these girls and they needed a mentor for a specific event. And then I carried on the conversation with them, seeing how else I can support them. So it's been really awesome to see some of these organizations, but I do think there's a huge opportunity space to make it more centralized so more people can get involved in mentorship and giving their time and helping different women from different backgrounds succeed. Right. That's so important. It's so important to have a mentor and have someone to look up to and help guide you, especially when you're young and kind of floundering around where you haven't really discovered who you are and there's so many paths. So having that mentorship is huge. And did you have a mentor that you attribute your success to or someone specific that really helped you along the way? Well, what I learned is that there are mentors and there are sponsors. And I think it's a really big differentiation. I think like my mom and everybody says like, my parents are the best, but like my mom overcame a lot to kind of help get me where I am today to give me the opportunities. My dad passed when I was in high school. So she really took it all on on herself. So I think the mentorship that she gave me outside of just being like an awesome mom is like things will happen and you have to pivot, pivot, pivot and reinvent yourself despite your circumstances. So I've had kind of examples and role models, but I think something that's been more meaningful, or let me take that back, something that's been meaningful in a different way is sponsors. So a lot of the women in innovation in the org have gone out and messaged their boss and said, there's this senior role available on our team. Zoya can do it. She may not have the years of experience, but she will get the job done. And sponsorship in that sense, like the women are putting their name out there on the line because if I go in and mess up the job or the interview, there's repercussions for that. So having women that have really been those to put out their arms and legs for me have been really, really meaningful to call just a few out. Maria, who's the co-founder of Women in Innovation, Althea, another co-founder, Steph, she works at RGA, has been a huge mentor to me, a bunch of these incredible women. And so again, something else that I try to do is, yes, I can give words of advice to women, but I think ultimately a lot of what these girls need is like an end to a company. And so I'm able to then pull from my network and say, this girl is really great and she can get the job done. So now I'm that person doing that. Yeah. That takes it such a step further, being able to really open up doors for people and acting, like you said, as a sponsor above just being a mentor. So I totally agree that women need both of those. You need people in your life who are going to open those doors for you and really vouch for you by putting themselves on the line. So it's great now that you're doing that for other people as well. So is your mom still in Israel? Yeah. So my mom is in Israel. My The majority of my family is in Israel. So my mom is in Israel, my grandma, and my brother is a software engineer and he is in Toronto. So he's kind of closer by. A little plug for my country, but Israel has vaccinated over 15% of the population and is number one in the world as far as getting people vaccinated. So my whole family has been vaccinated which is super, super exciting. And I got vaccinated today because of my status as an education worker. So it's been really incredible to have that shared experience in a weird way across the sea and the world. Wow. Well, that's so great that you got vaccinated. And that's amazing. The half of the country of Israel is vaccinated. So do you hope to be able to go back there and visit? And also, do you see yourself here long term? 
Yeah. So I'm going to go visit in a few months. I haven't seen my family in over a year, like close to a year and a half now, which is, which is crazy. So now that everybody's vaccinated, I don't feel like I will be the person to kill them all off accidentally. So I'll be going back in a little bit. And now that I'm vaccinated too. And then as far as long term, I mean, again, I'm at the place where I think there's so much more that I can do and so much more that I can learn. And I think New York has been incredible because it enables me to continue being an international citizen. But Israel's obviously always going to be a home. I think I see the value of going to the military. So I think, you know, in the distant future, when I have my own family, I'd love to expose my kids to that kind of background and education. And I do see the value of being international and traveling the world and moving places. So I think ultimately I'll end up living in a bunch of different places or New York forever since it's so international. Yeah, I definitely agree with having different life experiences in different cities. I wish I moved right out of school, but I didn't. And I've been in New York ever since. But it just helps you grow, puts you in a whole different experience, meeting new people. So very valuable. But what are some of your other goals? You've accomplished so much. Like we said earlier, your resume is very impressive. And I'm just curious, what's your like dream goal to accomplish? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely not one, hence the multi-hyphenate <laughs> situation. Like I remember coming out of grad school and getting the job at City and being like, I can't wait to have one job. And my friends were like, what are you talking about? Like, you're not quitting when and you just got a job at teaching at Columbia. So you're not going to have one job. So <laughs> I think like for me, each of the jobs and each of the realms of my life has a different job. But I think... As far as fundamentally, like what I bring to the world and my professional element, which is building strategies and products for companies, I want to work on the kinds of products that enable other people to do stuff. So I think like Google Pay is a great example of that because in its success, people will be able to manage their money in a better way and have a healthy relationship with money. And I think that's incredibly important, both men and women and everyone else. But it doesn't have to end there. It could be like working on building a platform that enables somebody to create a website or create a store or create something of their own. I think that's really empowering. I think that's kind of like my professional trajectory. I love being in product. And so I think that's ultimately where I'll stay. And then as far as the other things, I think with gender, I'm really excited to build up a pipeline of women and when we think of pipelines, they're often like, oh, college recruiting or high school recruiting. But I think it's really important to understand that these are people and girls that then turn into women that can then give back. Like I think I'm an example of that. So I really want to create pipelines of women that stick within the same kind of community from high school to actually making it to their job that can continue bringing other women with them on that trajectory. And I think there are a few ways that I could do that. Like maybe combining all these organizations that I work with in some capacity. Maybe it's starting something of my own. I think lots of work to be done and to do there. And then I think the last job is like, I guess, the teaching category. To me, it's not just teaching. It's again, passing on the stories and the experiences that I've shared. And so I hope to be releasing a book and publishing a book later this year. So that just got signed in. So I wasn't sure if I was going to take it here, but writing a book about innovation and other things to do with it that I'm sure you guys will see later in the year, but also speaking and a TEDx opportunity to, again, just like increase my reach and my message around the world. So those are, I guess, my big pipeline dreams, but there's more where that came from. 
Yeah, I'm confident that you'll continue to add to that list and that everything will transpire how it should. But that's amazing writing a book. I can't wait to hear more about that in the future when it comes out. We'll have to have you come back on to talk about it. Yes, I'm very excited. Obviously, you guys will get a copy as soon as I have a physical thing in my hand. I can't wait. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited. I love that idea of creating a pipeline for women to really stick with and grow throughout. And I could totally see you starting something separate or combining all the different things you do now. So that sounds really awesome. And I feel like it's just been really cool to hear about all these different things that you do. And you have a different background from a lot of the guests that we've had on here before. And I think while it is so different from what so many people who grew up here in New York or in America might have experienced, there's also so many parts of it that make it so relatable. So it's really great to hear about that. Now I think we can transition into the ending kind of closing rapid fire questions that we do at the end of every episode, just to get our listeners to learn a little bit more about you in like a lighthearted way. Sure. Cool. Yes. First, what is a must have quality for you in a significant other? So I'll split this up into two. On their own, I think they need to be confident and self-assured in whatever that they're doing stemming from a place of passion. As far as in a relationship, trust. Shout out to my high school boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to all the guys who have cheated on us before. Yeah. Sending you my love. I'll send you a copy of my book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, those are great qualities. So what is one food you can't live without? So kale salad from Westville, if you're New York City based, um, Mm -hmm. literally, it it sounds like a kale salad, but it has goat cheese and chicken and cranberries and walnuts. I mean, I can have it every night of my life, but like big picture, I would probably say fries. That Westville salad is crack. I love it. I'll probably like order it after this. Can you tell me about the dressing? I've never had it. I'm not fully sold on this salad yet. The dressing is like lemon. It's like lemon, olive oil. oil. Mm -hmm. So good. You know what? If you don't like it, Venmo me. That's how confident I am in this salad. <laughs> I'm kind of more sold now with the lemon dressing. I didn't like the idea of like the cranberries and like a sweet dressing, but I think with the lemon, it would be, yeah. it would work. And the cranberries yeah. are minimal. The ratio of the cranberries is is minimal. And sometimes I even get it without the cranberries if I'm wow. feeling more salty. Yeah, yeah. I really keep it innovative here. So everyone listening, order the Westville kale salad with fries. With fries yeah. and add chicken if you eat chicken. Mm. Oh my God. Now I'm so hungry. <laughs> This is a fun one to get a glimpse into your day since we heard about your packed schedule and the many, many jobs that you have. So are you a morning or a night person? And what is the first thing you do when you wake up and the last thing you do before bed? I think I'm both because many nights I don't sleep. (laughs) So if I need to stay up, I'll stay up. But I think I do very well when my morning is like happening. The first thing I do when I wake up is unfortunately check my emails. I know like it's not a great thing, but I like to check my emails and then I put my phone away just because I like to see if any fire alarms went off. And then after I do that, I try to read a little. So I have a goal of reading between 5 to 15 pages of a book a day. And that's a really low commitment goal. So I'm able to start my day by reading after the emails. Are you typically reading fiction or nonfiction? I read both at the same time because if I'm reading like a product, like what I'm reading right now is the tyranny of metrics. Like 
you can only read so much about metrics and like not want to <laughs> cry. So I'll read like Tyranny of Metrics and then like Untamed. So I'll switch it off. Like fiction, I can read unlimited amounts of, but if I'm reading the business types books, I got to break it up. Yeah. yeah. People rarely read two books at the same time, I feel, but I always can like go back and forth between a fiction and a nonfiction. Right. Because again, like what cliffhanger am I going to find out chapter seven of Tyranny of Metrics, right? Like (laughs) at the end of the day, like it'll be fine. People who read like two stories at the time, I don't think I have the mental capacity to follow along two stories. Yeah, that's true. I feel the same way if I'm like binging one TV show, I'm not just going to start binging another one at the same time. Oh my God. Absolutely not. Like I can't, I have to stay in my lane. I also love the idea of a tangible goal. Five to 15 pages is not something that's going to feel overwhelming. So a lot of people now are in 2021 and everyone's saying, I want to read a new book a week or a new book a month. And sometimes that's just like too big of an end game to focus on. And focusing on just five to 15 pages a day is a lot more tangible. Yeah. And you know what? I never end up counting. Like I tell myself it's five to 15, but it's like, it could be 30, but I don't know. It's more like, I know if I tell myself 5 to 15, then I'll open the book and then I'll deal with the time management of it. Like, obviously, if I have a 9 a.m. meeting, I will stop. Yeah. Right. So for our last question, what advice would you give to your younger self? So I would say two things. One, balance does not mean balance at the same time. It can mean doing one thing really well on that one day and not doing the other thing really well on that same day. And that can still mean balance. And I would say the other thing is you don't have to do it alone. And there is no extra award waiting for you if you do. I think obviously I've really drilled on the concept of mentorship and sponsorship throughout this podcast. But I also think it goes beyond that. I think you don't know everything. So learning from other people by leaning into them is an incredible thing. I mentioned the book and I'm, I'm very early on in the process and there are a lot of questions. It's a nonfiction book. So there are a lot of questions that I don't know because I haven't run a multi-billion dollar company. So instead of hiding in my basement writing this book alone, I'm going to go out there and ask everybody I know, what is your input? Like, What should I be reading to write a better book? And I think five years ago, I would have said, there's no way that I would do that because it would show how little I actually know. Those are both amazing pieces of advice. And I love reinforcing that you can ask for help. That doesn't make you know any less. It doesn't make you look any worse. Like use the resources around you and people are there to help you. So I love that. I love that that ties into your mentorship program. So great advice. Yeah. And I love the idea of being balanced and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have it all together. I think people think that the idea of balance means everything's going great, but you can be balance and still be like a work in progress in a lot of different areas. So it's just has a lot of different meaning. And like, you know, I talk about going, switching gears from one job to another. And that is ultimately how I live my life. But like, I can say today, I had a really tough day at work. There were some tough conversations and I walked away being like, okay, I've definitely had better days at work. But I also got the opportunity to interview the executive director of Pantone for my podcast. So, you know, I got to speak to a living legend. So if I thought about balance as this all-encompassing thing that you could say 50-50, I failed and succeeded, but I just don't look at it that way. For me, today was a win, just maybe a win in a different area of my life. I love that. 
Well, thank you so much, Zoya. This was an incredible episode. You are a wealth of knowledge. Your experience is inspirational, how you pivot and have accomplished so much. So I am sure that your story will resonate so well with our listeners. And we're so grateful to have had the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you so much. And I love what you're doing. I think the stories that you are sharing are forms of mentorship and inspiration. And I think in this day, whether it's COVID or post-COVID, listening to podcasts allows us all an opportunity to escape and connect with people we otherwise maybe wouldn't have met. So thank you for the opportunity and thank you for everything that you do. Yes, thank you. And thank you for saying that. Can you tell everyone listening where they can find you? Yes, sure. So my name is Zoya Kozakoff. That's Z-O-I-A. And then I'm sure you'll figure out my last name too. I have a LinkedIn account. So it's just my name. And you can get a bunch of information on my website, which is Z-O-I-A.online. Great. Well, thank, thank you again. You. This was amazing. And we hope everyone listening enjoys the episode. Thank you for listening to the Mostly Balanced podcast. You can find us on Instagram at mostly underscore balanced. And if you loved the episode, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple. And we'll see you again next week for another great episode.